This is section 14 of Happy Homes and the Hearts That Make Them by Samuel Smiles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 14 Men of Business Read by John Greenman Seest thou a man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. Proverbs of Solomon That man is but of the lower part of the world, that is not brought up to business and affairs. Owen Feltham Hazlitt, in one of his clever essays, represents the man of business as a mean sort of person put in a go-cart, yoked to a trade or profession, alleging that all he has to do is not to go out of the beaten track, but merely to let his affairs take their own course. The great requisite, he says, for the prosperous management of ordinary business is the want of imagination, or of any ideas but those of custom and interest on the narrowest scale. But nothing could be more one-sided and in effect untrue than such a definition. Of course there are narrow-minded men of business, as there are narrow-minded scientific men, literary men, and legislators. But there are also businessmen of large and comprehensive minds, capable of action on the very largest scale. As Burke said in his speech on the India Bill, he knew statesmen who were peddlers, and merchants who acted in the spirit of statesmen. If we take into account the qualities necessary for the successful conduct of any important undertaking, that it requires special aptitude, promptitude of action on emergencies, capacity for organizing the labors often of large numbers of men, great tact and the knowledge of human nature, constant self-culture, and growing experience in the practical affairs of life, it must, we think, be obvious that the school of business is by no means so narrow as some writers would have us believe. Mr. Helps has gone much nearer the truth when he said that consummate men of business are as rare almost as great poets, rarer perhaps than veritable saints and martyrs. Indeed, of no other pursuit can it so emphatically be said as of this that business makes men. It has, however, been a favorite fallacy with dunces in all times that men of genius are unfitted for business, as well as that business occupations unfit men for the pursuits of genius. The unhappy youth who committed suicide a few years since because he had been born to be a man and condemned to be a grocer, proved by the act that his soul was not equal even to the dignity of a grocer, for it is not the calling that degrades a man, but the man that degrades the calling. All work that brings honest gain is honorable, whether it be of hand or mind. The fingers may be soiled, yet the heart remain pure for it is not material so much as moral dirt that defiles, greed far more than crime, and vice than vertigris. The greatest have not disdained to labor honestly and usefully for a living, though at the same time aiming after higher things. Thales, the first of the seven sages, Solon, the second founder of Athens, and Hyperides, the mathematician, were all traders plato called the divine by reason of the excellence of his wisdom 
defrayed his traveling expenses in egypt by the profits derived from the oil which he sold during his journey spinoza maintained himself by polishing glasses while he pursued his philosophical investigations linnaeus the great botanist prosecuted his studies while hammering leather and making shoes shakespeare was a successful manager of a theatre perhaps priding himself more upon his practical qualities in that capacity than on his writing of plays and poetry pope was of opinion that shakespeare's principal object in cultivating literature was to secure an honest independence indeed he seems to have been altogether indifferent to literary reputation it is not known that he superintended the publication of a single play or even sanctioned the printing of one and the chronology of his writings is still a mystery it is certain however that he prospered in his business and he realized sufficient to enable him to retire upon a competency to his native town we have abundant illustrations in our own day of the fact that the highest intellectual power is not incompatible with the active and efficient performance of routine duties grote the great historian of greece was a london banker and it is not long since john stuart mill one of our greatest living thinkers retired from the examiner's department of the east india company carrying with him the admiration and esteem of his fellow officers not on account of his high views of philosophy but because of the high standard of efficiency which he had established in his office and the thoroughly satisfactory manner in which he had conducted the business of his department the path of success in business is usually the path of common sense patient labor and application are as necessary here as in the acquisition of knowledge or the pursuit of science the old greeks said to become an able man in any profession three things are necessary nature study and practice in business practice wisely and diligently improved is the great secret of success some may make what are called lucky hits but like money earned by gambling such hits may only serve to lure one to ruin every youth should be made to feel that his happiness and well-doing in life must necessarily rely mainly on himself and the exercise of his own energies rather than upon the help and patronage of others the late lord melbourne embodied a piece of useful advice in a letter which he wrote to lord john russell in reply to an application for a provision for one of moore the poet's sons my dear john he said i return you moore's letter i shall be ready to do what you like about it when we have the means i think whatever is done should be done for moore himself this is more distinct direct and intelligible making a small provision for young men is hardly justifiable and it is of all things the most prejudicial to themselves they think what they have much larger than it really is and they make no exertion the young should never hear any language but this you have your own way to make and it depends upon your own exertions whether you starve or not believe me etc melbourne practical industry wisely and vigorously applied always produces its due effects it carries a man onward brings out his individual character and stimulates the actions of others all may not rise equally yet each on the whole 
very much according to his deserts though all cannot live on the piazza as the tuscan proverb has it every one may feel the sun on the whole it is not good that human nature should have the road of life made too easy better to be under the necessity of working hard and faring meanly than to have everything done ready to our hand and a pillow of down to repose upon indeed to start in life with comparatively small means seems so necessary as a stimulus to work that it may almost be set down as one of the conditions essential to success in life hence an eminent judge when asked what contributed most to success at the bar replied some succeed by great talent some by high connections some by miracle but the majority by commencing without a shilling we have heard of an architect of considerable accomplishments a man who had improved himself by long study and travel in the classical lands of the east who came home to commence the practice of his profession he determined to begin anywhere provided he could be employed and he accordingly undertook a business connected with dilapidations one of the lowest and least remunerative departments of the architect's calling but he had the good sense not to be above his trade and he had the resolution to work his way upward so that he only got a fair start one hot day in july a friend found him sitting astride of a house roof occupied with his dilapidation business drawing his hand across his perspiring countenance he exclaimed is a pretty business for a man who has been all over greece however he did his work such as it was thoroughly and well he persevered until he advanced by degrees to more remunerative branches of employment and eventually he rose to the highest walks of his profession the necessity of labor may indeed be regarded as the main root and spring of all that we call progress in individuals and civilizations in nations and it is doubtful that any heavier curse could be imposed on man than the gratification of all his wishes without effort on his part leaving nothing for his hopes desires or struggles the feeling that life is destitute of any motive or necessity for action must be of all others the most distressing and insupportable to a rational being the marquis de spinola asking sir horace vere what his brother died of sir horace replied he died sir of having nothing to do alas said spinola that is enough to kill any general of us all those who fail in life are however very apt to assume a tone of injured innocence and conclude too hastily that everybody excepting themselves has had a hand in their personal misfortune there is a russian proverb which says that misfortune is next door to stupidity and it will often be found that men who are constantly lamenting their luck are in some way or other reaping the consequences of their own neglect mismanagement improvidence or want of application dr johnson who came up to london with a single guinea in his pocket and who once accurately described himself in his signature to a letter addressed to a noble lord as impransus or dinnerless has honestly said all the complaints which are made of the world are unjust i never knew a man of merit neglected it was generally by his own fault that he failed of success 
washington irving held like views as for the talk he said about modest merit being neglected it is too often a cant by which the indolent and irresolute men seek to lay their want of success at the door of the public modest merit is however too apt to be inactive or negligent or uninstructed merit well-matured and well-disciplined talent is always sure of a market provided it exerts itself but it must not cower at home and expect to be sought for there is a good deal of cant too about the success of forward and impudent men while men of retiring worth are passed over with neglect but it usually happens that those forward men have that valuable quality of promptness and activity without which worth is a mere inoperative property a barking dog is often more useful than a sleeping lion attention application accuracy method punctuality and dispatch are the principal qualities required for the efficient conduct of business of any sort these at first sight may appear to be small matters and yet they are of essential importance to human happiness well-being and usefulness they are little things it is true but human life is made up of comparative trifles it is the repetition of little acts which constitutes not only the sum of human character but which determines the character of nations and where men or nations have broken down it will almost invariably be found that neglect of little things was the rock on which they split every human being has duties to be performed and therefore has need of cultivating the capacity for doing them whether the sphere of action be the management of a household the conduct of a trade or profession or the government of a nation the examples we have already given of great workers in various branches of industry art and science render it unnecessary further to enforce the importance of persevering application in any department of life it is the result of everyday experience that steady attention to matters of detail lies at the root of human progress and that diligence above all is the mother of good luck accuracy is also of much importance and an invariable mark of good training in a man accuracy in observation accuracy in speech accuracy in the transaction of affairs what is done in business must be well done for it is better to accomplish perfectly a small amount of work than to half do ten times as much a wise man used to say stay a little that we may make an end the sooner too little attention however is paid to this highly important quality of accuracy as a man eminent in practical sciences lately observed to us it is astonishing how few people i have met with the course of my experience who can define a fact accurately yet in business affairs it is the manner in which even small matters are transacted that often decides men for or against you with virtue capacity and good conduct in other respects the person who is habitually inaccurate cannot be trusted his work has to be gone over again and he thus causes an infinity of annoyance vexation and trouble it was one of the characteristic qualities of charles james fox that he was thoroughly painstaking in all that he did when appointed secretary of state being piqued at some observation as to his bad writing 
he actually took a writing-master and wrote copies like a schoolboy until he had sufficiently improved himself method is essential and enables a larger amount of work to be got through with satisfaction method said the reverend richard cecil is like packing things in a box a good packer will get in half as much again as a bad one cecil's dispatch of business was extraordinary his maxim being the shortest way to do many things is to do only one thing at once and he never left a thing undone with a view of recurring to it at a period of more leisure when business pressed he rather chose to encroach on his hours of meals and rest than omit any part of his work dewitt's maxim was like cecil's one thing at a time if said he i have any necessary dispatches to make i think of nothing else till they are finished if any domestic affairs require my attention i give myself wholly up to them till they are set in order a french minister who was alike remarkable for his dispatch of business and his constant attendance at places of amusement being asked how he contrived to combine both objects replied simply by never postponing till to-morrow what should be done to-day men are apt to rely upon agents who are not always to be relied upon important affairs must be attended to in person if you want your business done says the proverb go and do it if you don't want it done send someone else an indolent country gentleman had a freehold estate producing about five hundred a year becoming involved in debt he sold half the estate and let the remainder to an industrious farmer for twenty years about the end of the term the farmer called to pay his rent and asked the owner whether he would sell the farm will you buy it asked the owner surprised yes if we can arrange about the price that is exceedingly strange observed the gentleman pray tell me how it happens that while i could not live upon twice as much land for which i paid no rent you are regularly paying me two hundred a year for your farm and are able in a few years to purchase it the reason is plain was the reply you sat still and said go i got up and said come you lay in bed and enjoyed your estate i rose in the morning and minded my business promptitude in action may be stimulated by a due consideration of the value of time an italian philosopher was accustomed to call time his estate an estate which produces nothing of value without cultivation but duly improved never fails to recompense the labors of the diligent worker allowed to lie waste the product will be only noxious weeds and vicious growths of all kinds one of the minor uses of steady employment is that it keeps one out of mischief for truly an idle brain is the devil's workshop and a lazy man the devil's bolster to be occupied is to be possessed as by a tenant whereas to be idle is to be empty and when the doors of the imagination are opened temptation finds a ready access and evil thoughts come trooping in it is observed at sea that men are never so much disposed to grumble and mutiny as when least employed hence an old captain when there was nothing else to do would issue the order to scour the anchor men of business are accustomed to quote the maxim that time is money but it is more 
the proper improvement of it is self-culture self-improvement and growth of character an hour wasted daily on trifles or in indolence would if devoted to self-improvement make an ignorant man wise in a few years and employed in good works would make his life fruitful and death a harvest of worthy deeds fifteen minutes a day devoted to self-improvement will be felt at the end of the year good thoughts and carefully gathered experience take up no room and may be carried about as our companions everywhere without cost or encumbrance an economical use of time is the true mode of securing leisure it enables us to get through business and carry it forward instead of being driven by it on the other hand the miscalculation of time involves us in perpetual hurry confusion and difficulties and life becomes a mere shuffle of expedients usually followed by disaster nelson once said i owe all my success in life to having been always a quarter of an hour before my time some take no thought of the value of money until they have come to an end of it and many do the same with their time the hours are allowed to flow by unemployed and then when life is fast waning they bethink themselves of the duty of making a wiser use of it but the habit of listlessness and idleness may already have become confirmed and they are unable to break the bonds with which they have permitted themselves to become bound lost wealth may be replaced by industry lost knowledge by study lost health by temperance or medicine but lost time is gone forever a proper consideration of the value of time will also inspire habits of punctuality nothing begets confidence in a man sooner than the practice of this virtue and nothing shakes confidence sooner than the want of it he who holds to his appointment and does not keep you waiting for him shows that he has regard for your time as well as for his own thus punctuality is one of the modes by which we testify our personal respect for those whom we are called upon to meet in the business of life it is also conscientiousness in a measure for an appointment is a contract express or implied and he who does not keep it breaks faith as well as dishonestly uses other people's time and thus inevitably loses character we naturally come to the conclusion that the person who is careless about time is careless about business and that he is not the one to be trusted with the transaction of matters of importance when washington's secretary excused himself for the lateness of his attendance and laid the blame upon his watch his master quietly said then you must get another watch or i another secretary the truth of the good old maxim that honesty is the best policy is upheld by the daily experience of life uprightness and integrity being found as successful in business as in everything else integrity of word and deed ought to be the very cornerstone of all business transactions to the tradesman the merchant and manufacturer it should be what honor is to the soldier and charity is to the christian in the humblest calling there will always be found scope for the exercise of this uprightness of character hugh miller speaks of the mason with whom he served his apprenticeship as one who put his conscience into every stone that he laid 
so the true mechanic will pride himself upon the thoroughness and solidity of his work and the high-minded contractor upon the honesty of performance of his contract in every particular the upright manufacturer will find not only honor and reputation but substantial success in the genuineness of the article which he produces and the merchant in the honesty of what he sells and that it really is what it seems to be baron dupin speaking of the general probity of englishmen which he held to be a principal cause of their success observed we may succeed for a time by fraud by surprise by violence but we can succeed permanently only by means directly opposite it is not alone the courage the intelligence the activity of the merchant and manufacturer which maintains the superiority of their productions and the character of their country it is far more their wisdom their economy and above all their probity if ever in the british islands the useful citizen should lose these virtues we may be sure that for england as for every other country the vessels of a degenerate commerce repulsed from every shore would speedily disappear from those seas whose surface they now cover with the treasures of the universe bartered for the treasures of the industry of the three kingdoms it must be admitted that trade tries character perhaps more severely than any other pursuit in life it puts to the severest tests honesty self-denial justice and truthfulness and men of business who pass through such trials unstained are perhaps worthy of as great honor as soldiers who prove their courage amidst the fire and perils of battle and to the credit of the multitudes of men engaged in the various departments of trade we think it must be admitted that on the whole they pass through their trials nobly if we reflect but for a moment on the vast amount of wealth daily entrusted even to the subordinate persons who themselves probably earn but a bare competency the loose cash which is constantly passing through the hands of shopmen agents brokers and clerks in banking-houses and note how comparatively few are the breaches of trust which occur amidst all this temptation it will probably be admitted that this steady daily honesty of conduct is more honorable to human nature if it do not even tempt us to be proud of it the same trust and confidence reposed by men of business in each other as implied by the system of credit which is mainly based upon the principle of honor would be surprising if it were not so much a matter of ordinary practice in business transactions dr chalmers has well said that the implicit trust with which merchants are accustomed to confide in distant agents separated from them perhaps by half the globe often consigning vast wealth to persons recommended only by their character whom perhaps they have never seen is probably the finest act of homage which men can render to one another the fortunes of the house of rothschild were based upon the honesty of their founder meyer anselm he was born in frankfurt on the main in seventeen forty three his parents were jews what a frightful history might be written of the persecutions tortures and martyrdoms of the jews in the middle ages and even down to our own times at frankfurt as well as at other towns and cities in germany the jews were compelled to resort to their quarters at a certain hour in the evening under penalty of death the judengasse at frankfurt 
was shut in by gates which were locked at night napoleon blew them down with cannon one of the best things he ever did yet the persecutions of the jews continued young anselm lost his parents at eleven and had to fight his way through life alone after a slight modicum of education the boy had the good fortune to find a place as clerk to a small banker and money-changer at hanover he returned to frankfort in seventeen seventy two and established himself as a broker and money-lender over his shop he hung the sign of the red shield in german rothschild he collected ancient and rare coins and among the amateurs who frequented his shop was the langrave william afterward elector of hesse when napoleon overran europe william of hesse was driven from his states and left all the money he could gather together in the hands of anselm his agent it amounted to one million two hundred and fifty thousand dollars how to take care of this money and make it grow in his hands was anselm's greatest object money in those days was very dear it returned twelve or even twenty per cent on good security the war went on russia was invaded by napoleon his army was all but lost in the snow the battle of leipzig was fought and napoleon and his army were hurled across the rhine the landgrave of hesse then returned to his states a few days after the eldest son of meyer anselm presented himself at court and handed over to the landgrave the three millions of florins which his father had taken care of the landgrave was almost beside himself with joy he looked upon the restored money as a windfall in his exultation he knighted the young rothschild at once such honesty his highness exclaimed had never been known in the world at the congress of vienna where he went shortly after he could talk of nothing else than the honesty of the rothschilds anselm had a large family they followed his example and thus the rothschilds became the largest money-lenders in the world end of chapter fourteen men of business read by john greenman